Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters and for joining us in celebrating the 50th anniversary of Cleopatra, which, back in 1963, was billed as, quote, the motion picture the world is waiting for, unquote. Now, this epic film won four Oscars out of its nine nominations, and I think everybody remembers that uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton began their tumultuous romance during the long and problem-ridden filming. Our show is a very timely one because a special Cleopatra 50th anniversary DVD is being released today by 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. And we're so happy that film historian James Colt Harrison and entertainment journalist Diana Sanger are here to share their reactions about Cleopatra. We were hoping that actress Joan Benedict Steiger would also be here, but unfortunately, poor Joan broke her shoulder and has a physical rehab session scheduled this afternoon, so we hope that the, that shoulder gets uh, healed quickly. But luckily, we have a clip of Joan relating her unusual Elizabeth Taylor-Cleopatra connection, which uh, we hope to have time to play a little bit later. And in addition... We did invite, at uh, James Colt Harrison's suggestion, Oscar winner Martin Landau, who played a key role in Cleopatra, to call in. So we might hear from him before the show is over. Just keep your fingers crossed. Now, before bringing James and Diana on, let's check with Nikki Starr to see if she's ready to help with the show. Nikki, are all systems go in the chat room? They are, and we're ready. Great. I think we're all ready, too, and we really appreciate the listeners who sign in the chat, as well as all our listeners, of course. We also appreciate James and Diana, two of our favorite guests, for taking the time to be with us today. So let's bring them on now, and we always do ladies first. Diana, welcome back to Movie Addict Headquarters. Thanks, Betty Jo. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Well, we love having you on our show, Diana. I know you've been busy over the, the past weekend, I wonder uh, if we could take a little bit of time for you to tell us about that important activity you were involved in. Well, we have a Veterans Wall of Honor in Alpine, California, and uh, it was our third Memorial Day celebration about that wall. And the announcement and release of the book, I wrote about 85 of the veterans on that wall, which is the first book so far called Mission Honored, A Dream Achieved. And uh, it was just exciting to have the book and the people be honored and grateful and have their stories told. Oh, good for you, Diana. Now, where can our listeners order that book that you just mentioned? Alpinewallofhonor.org. Alpine, that's A-L-P-I-N-E, Wall of Order. Wall of Honor. Honor. 
lawofhonor.com. Maybe dot Nikki org. put that in the dot org. Dot org. All right, I get the dot orgs and the dot coms mixed up, but maybe <laughs> uh, maybe Nikki will put that in the chat room. It's Alpine Wall of Honor dot org. So um, if we can get that, it, yes, yes. Thank you, Nikki. She has it in the in the chat room. So Thank we're you. really uh, excited to hear. Uh, sure that you were involved in that in that important uh, activity, Diane, and so happy to hear that it's uh, been a big success. And we also are happy that we have your colleague with us, James. Thanks so much for being with us again today. I know you you just recently got back from Spain. Um, how long were you in Spain, James? Oh dear, I can't hear James. Let's see if we can. Get him back on. Hi, James. Hello. <laughs> did you hear me ask how? Hello. Did Am you I hear here? Me ask how long you were in Spain? <laughs> I was there about two weeks, and uh, it's beautiful, just like California. Lots of Spanish influence, you know, and all that, and the sunshine. It's it's uh, very much like Southern California where I live. Well, yes, I was. Uh, thinking about when when I heard that you were in Spain, I thought, well, why in the world would he ever want to leave beautiful La Jolla? <laughs> but now that you say that it's uh, that it's like uh, California, I can I can understand that. But it's always such fun when you're when you're uh, with us, James. And I know this is a topic right right down your alley because yes. I think that you did a uh, you you've written a history of um, Hollywood studios and I believe that it was that also included in what you've written was information about 20th Century Fox. So I thought it would be it would be uh, very interesting to hear you talk about um, whether or not you you liked the tagline that they used for Cleopatra, the motion picture the world is waiting for. How did that come up, and how do you feel about that tagline? Well, actually, I think I think it was very appropriate at the time. Uh, I remember the opening of Cleopatra because I was about six months old at the time. And and it was the most anticipated film because it was a huge, huge epic. Nobody had ever seen anything like this since Intolerance in the silent days. But uh, 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 it was just giant, and the publicity that was following it during production was phenomenal you know the the romance started during that uh filming and so everybody was talking about the film and it was a huge scandal because at that time we weren't as wild and open about you know having romances when you were married to somebody else but liz did she went right ahead and uh she got great publicity and uh, the studio loved it and, uh, they were spending millions and millions on the film and they they thought it would break the studio, and apparently they spent so much money on it that they had to sell off the back lot, which is about 300 acres, and that's where all the outdoor sets were, like uh, oh, uh, the East Coast and uh, New York City and the Southwest, and everything was on the back lot then. But they sold all that off, and it's now Century City, where there are a lot of high-rises and hotels and condos, uh, in fact, uh, Lana Turner lived in one of the condos that overlooked 20th Century Fox, and she had made uh, the reins of Ranchipur at Fox at one time. But anyway, that's not talking about 
Cleopatra. But uh, yes, but that that's interesting interesting information. So uh, so that um, that tagline pretty much was was true. I I, I think that, oh yeah. Uh, it pretty. It was. It, I know that I was waiting for it because I I kept uh, reading reading about what was happening, all the problems that they had filming. I kept reading about the romance between Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, and the film started to be uh, uh, made in 1960 and wasn't released until 1963. And we we were reading all about the trials and tribulations and all the gossip going on. So yeah, we were we were pretty much waiting for it. And I think people who even weren't exactly that excited to see it just uh, was waiting for it to be over. <laughs> so <laughs> that tagline probably worked. Uh, Diana, how did how did you feel about that uh, tagline? Uh, of course, you're just a young whippersnapper. You may not have been uh, going to the movies back in 1963. Well, you hit that right on the target, you know. I don't remember that um, logo. And, and, you know, of course, every movie back then had big teaser quotes to get people to the movies. But, um, yeah, I was a busy young mother. I wasn't a critic at that time. And, you know, so it just kind of was blasé until I actually saw it. But, you know, now today I know so much more about it and all the hoopla behind it, the good stuff, the bad stuff. So um, it's definitely epic. Yeah, I think they they couldn't have picked a better uh, tagline for it, and and it is interesting that with all the problems that they had with that movie and and the uh, going over the budget, that uh, after the film opened, it opened uh, and it was sold out for the for the first four months. I mean, standing room only. <laughs> so I think the hype yeah. for it really really did pay off. But it did a better finally ta- a arrive. Better tagline, a better tagline might have been the motion picture the studio was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They, they were definitely waiting for it to get finished. And and, and actually, it was supposed to be uh, two separate movies, um, the director and screenwriter, Mankiewicz. He wanted it to be Anthony and Cleopatra, a three-hour film, and then Caesar and Cleopatra, another three three-hour film so he was looking at it you know that way and of course uh that would have the, the studio didn't want to go along with that so uh you know they kind of chopped it up and put it together but it still ran four hours and three minutes i believe it was and some people you know had said that it was sort of inconsistent but but i could follow the the plot it, it wasn't really that hard uh, to follow, uh, it, it was actually focused. Well it, well, it was Elizabeth Taylor's film. Let's let's face it. But it focused on efforts by Queen Cleopatra to settle the tensions between her kingdom in Egypt and the Roman Empire. And of course, uh, her strategy it was this very manipulative. She wanted to seduce Julius Caesar, who was played by Rex Harrison, when he visits Egypt. And uh, mission accomplished, she even has a child by him, but Caesar has to go back to Rome. And so then Cleopatra travels to Rome to be by the emperor's side. But unfortunately, Julius Caesar is killed, and we all have heard about that in our history books. So she returns home. Then Mark Antony, played by Richard Burton, goes to Egypt to smooth things over with Cleopatra, of course, he falls under her spell, and the two lovers think they'll be able to unite and to rule the entire Roman Empire. But 
Guess who stands in the way? Caesar's nephew, Octavian, played by Roddy McDowell. Uh, James, did I did I cover everything? Um, I mean, there are a lot of little details that I left out, but is, is that pretty much the gist of the film? Oh, that certainly is. Yes, it's a it's a very detailed and beautifully written film by uh, Mankiewicz, who also directed. And uh, the interesting thing is, you probably know, but they were so far behind on the film that Mankiewicz was writing the script all night long for the next day's shooting. And so they got a fresh script every day because they didn't have a script that was finished. And poor Mankiewicz was, you know, killing himself, directing during the day and writing all night long. <laughs> it was it was a, quite a project for, for him. Now, you said that you first saw Cleopatra, I, I remember when we were talking earlier, that you, when it was released, uh, did you go to the premiere, or or did you, I think you said you saw it at Grauman's Chinese Theater. What was I, that I, experience like? I did. I, it was when it first opened, and uh, a friend of mine who was working at the studios, and I, he was a real adventurer, and we, he's very, you know, he always got me into trouble. We snuck into the theater without paying, and we we sat on the stairs in the balcony to watch Cleopatra, and the place was packed, packed. It was jammed, and uh, so we we saw Cleopatra for free uh, the night it opened, so <laughs> that was that's quite why, an experience. That's why 20th Century Fox practically went bankrupt. <laughs> that's why they went <laughs> bankrupt, because I didn't pay. <laughs> I think I was... Well, what was your... What was your reaction to the film? Can you remember back back then? How did how did you feel about it? Oh well, of course uh, I've always been movie struck, but I I just thought it was so stupendous. The settings were so beautifully designed, the costumes were unbelievably gorgeous, and of course Elizabeth Taylor, and the makeup was so different too because they I guess it was their interpretation of what. Egyptians wore in the in those days, and it was probably pretty accurate because uh, I made a trip to Egypt one time and saw all the statues in the museum, and they actually were painted up the way Elizabeth Taylor was in the film. So it was pretty accurate. They did a beautiful job. I I, I really found it quite spectacular, and um, I can remember uh, a little bit upset that it was as long as it was because my attention span even then was was not for four hours <laughs> one sitting but i i thought that it was uh it really really was entertaining and uh i just loved uh elizabeth taylor in the film now diana when did you first see cleopatra i saw it you know probably not when it first came out but you know a little bit later on um and again, I, I wasn't uh, amazed with with the actual story at the time. I think I was amazed at the production um, more than anything else. But you know, it's like I said, it's not until years later that I've come to appreciate a lot of things about it, and then just to kind of hum and sigh at some of the others. <laughs> <laughs> well, it you know. Um, it really uh, had mixed reviews when it was uh, first released back in 1963. And I was doing a little bit of research on, on this because I couldn't remember who had written what, but 
Andrew Saris of The Village Voice wrote probably one of the most uh, devastating reviews, and this is a quote from it. Cleo laid a big dinosaur egg. <laughs> well, that was his comment. But at the same time, Bosley Crowther of the New York Times called the movie a surpassing entertainment, one of the epic films of our day. I mean, talk about from one extreme to the other. And um, many of the people that I knew, you know, that were going to the movies then and waiting for that movie, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, we loved it. As you mentioned, uh, James, we loved the lavish costumes and the <laughs> gorgeous scenery and uh, kind of the over-the-top sets. <laughs> they, yeah. We really liked, you know, we really enjoyed seeing all that, seeing all that spectacle. And, and of course, that You've mentioned how uh, the film uh, really did uh, damage uh, the budget at 20th Century Fox, <laughs> but I did not know about them selling the, the back lot. But I do know that it end, the film ended up costing the studio 44 million dollars, which I think is might be something like 300 million, you know, by today's uh, standards. Yes, and, it would be. Yeah. And what were some of the why? Why did it end up costing that much? I mean, what were what was some of the what did some of the costs money go into? Well, uh, uh, let me let me tell you. Uh, they started the production first in England, and the casting was totally different. It was Elizabeth Taylor, of course, but Peter Finch was uh, cast as uh, Julius Caesar, and Stephen Boyd was playing the Richard Burton part. They started filming in England. Stephen Boyd. Oh, yeah, right. And and Peter Peter Finch was Julius Caesar. And uh, they started filming, and it was very cold in England. Uh, They were trying to reproduce Rome, which was ridiculous. But uh, anyway, Elizabeth Taylor got sick, and she had her famous tracheotomy done at that time because she almost died. Well, the the film was delayed so long, and it was costing money, and nobody was doing anything. They weren't working. And um, it was delayed uh, too long, so Peter Finch had to go on to another film. So he quit the film, and uh, they replaced him with Rex Harrison. So that was a great delay. Then they moved the production to Rome, which, of course, was another enormous expense, and the clock was ticking, ticking, ticking every day, and nothing was getting done. Finally, Elizabeth Taylor got to the set, and they started filming, and uh, Richard Burton was replaced uh, Stephen Boyd as uh, Mark Antony. And then the romance started at that time. That's how they met, and she was married to Eddie Fisher at the time. Yeah. But that didn't uh, seem to deter them in one, one bit, so... Uh, <laughs> The lavish production was very costly. The delays were very costly, and, and that's why the the budget went out the roof. You know. Well, well, you know, it did. Um, I guess they did. They had to scrap all the sets and the and the footage, the film footage that was done in 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 England. Is that what is that what happened? So then, when they moved it down to Rome, they had to rebuild. Yes. Yes. That's sets. exactly true. Yes. That's that's very true. Uh, I was talking to Peter Finch's daughter, Anita Finch Harrison, 
who is a psychotherapist to the stars, and she told me she had seen some footage of her father uh, with a Roman hairdo and that she thought it was quite comical <laughs> because, you know, he had little curls on his head. But uh, So I guess there is some film footage from that, unless they scrapped it, I don't know, but there might be some in the vaults of 20th Century Fox down in the salt mines where they store all their film in Kansas. Uh, so well, they, they said, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no! Then they, when they moved to Rome, they had to build the sets all over again because they couldn't transport them. So they built all these huge, lavish sets that cost millions. That took over uh, the studio there in Rome. Wow! And they um, and the costumes that were so gorgeous. I think that they had about twenty six thousand costumes, and Elizabeth Taylor had I think sixty five or seventy <laughs> costume changes. <laughs> yeah, we went into the Guinness, Guinness Guinness Book of Records is the most costume changes. I, I'm sure there have been others since then, but at that time, and she she was paid a lot of money, wasn't she? The first actress or actor. To get um, one million dollars. Yes, think, yes. I I, uh, when they when they were planning the film, they asked Elizabeth if she would be interested in the part. Well, she wasn't. She didn't want to do it. So she said, "Well, I'll just ask for an, a ridiculous amount of money, and they won't hire me." So she said, "I want a million dollars." And they said, "Okay." <laughs> so she was, <laughs> she was trapped. So she had to do the movie. She was. They, they had never paid anybody that amount of money. No, was and she one. ended up uh, making about seven million. But you know, the movie did win, uh, uh, well deserved. Won best uh, art direction, and it won best costumes. Oh, well deserved. And best and best uh, special effects. Well, it won four, and I'm trying to think of what the what the third one was. Okay, best. Art direction, best costumes, best cinematography, and best special effects for a film in, in Technicolor. And I would, I definitely believe that those were well deserved, uh, oh. uh, well deserved Oscars. Diana, do you have any anything to add about the the budget uh, or um, the four Oscars that Cleopatra won? Um, no, you guys covered most of the ones I already had about the budget, other than. Her $7 million was because also she was part of a um, technical system that she owned that she made them use in the movie, so part of her income came from that. But, Good point. Um, Todd A.O. Todd uh-huh. A.O., right? Yep. Her costumes were totaled 194000 and one of them was 24-karat gold cloth. Mm, wow. Yeah. That's and about so the true. awards, I thought it was interesting that... Um, of course, you're, you're going to ask us about the characters later, so I'll bring it up then. Okay, a gold costume, oh, a costume that was made entirely of entirely of, uh, of gold. Wow. Well, also I read that um, they had to build the massive set uh, for uh, the city of Alexandria three times, three and times, I didn't read yeah. why. Why they had to do that? So well, because they moved added, the production a couple times. Yeah, that right, right. But but it's just uh, so interesting that Cleopatra um, was the highest-grossing 
movie the year that it was released. Something like 26 million, I think, in the U.S. And of course, it's not often that you have a movie that's the highest-grossing movie of the year, and yet it's ended ended up as, you know, a a sort of a financial flop. It was so, also the um, highest-grossing of the 60s. Yeah, the highest-grossing of the of the 60s. Mm-hmm. So it it's just a, a kind of a, a film with many contradictions and. Uh, many opinions about it, but we do know that it was a very troubled filming, and um, it's just, a, to me, it's a very interesting uh, part of uh, cinema history, is everything that was going on with uh, with Cleopatra. And uh, One of the New York promise- Times reviews I read said he called the film an epic film, an epic investment, an epic annual for Hollywood gossip, and an epic flop that sent Fox down the Nile along with Cleopatra's barge. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I say a little bit about the budget? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the film uh, it has gotten a bad reputation that the film was a flop. The film was not a flop. It was a big, big hit. What everybody refers to is that it cost too much money for what they could actually get back at the box office at the time. However, over the years, they have made money on Cleopatra because of the DVDs and the re-releases on television and so forth. So the movie has made a profit uh, after, what, 40 years? Yes, that's right. And um, and it will, being sold to... Um, to uh, to be shown on TV help them to yes, uh, yes. kind of come you know, so so now it's it's viewed as not the flop that it was financial flop that it was originally right. originally uh, uh, sought to be. Well, I'm so interested in what um, how uh, Elizabeth Taylor was able to go ahead and do Cleopatra when she was supposed to. You know when when they wanted her to do Butterfield Eight, a film that she didn't want to do, and um, that's why I was hoping that uh, Joan Benedict Steiger could be here because she has an, she kind of helped out with that with that situation, and uh, I do have a little clip where uh, Joan talks about her unique. Uh, contribution <laughs> to this situation and I think this is a good time to play uh, to play that tape and then after that we'll we'll go into uh, the most interesting part of Cleopatra which uh, little uh, which are uh, behind the scenes little tidbits that we're, we're going to share with our listeners but here's Joan Benedict Steiger actress and friend of the show and uh, uh, wife uh, of the late great Rod Steiger and she's talking about her her Butterfield 8 uh, connection with Elizabeth Taylor and how it relates to Cleopatra. Joan, I remember that Elizabeth earned her first Oscar for Butterfield 8. What was your connection to that project? Well, uh, first of all let me tell you it's the first time I have ever spoken about it (laughs) and it's on your show. Oh, Um, well, thank I was you. just uh, I was just uh, 18. I was starting out in New York as an actress, and um, I uh, I constantly bothered the MGM casting director. So I got this call from 
from him, and he said, Joan, I think I've got something wonderful for you. It's a great opportunity. And I was just still a teenager. I was like 19, almost 20. And um, he said, Elizabeth Taylor is going to be doing a film in New York. Of course, I was in New York at the time. And uh, he said, uh, Daniel Mann is going to be directing. Danny Mann was a very important director at the time, had, had done mm-hmm. a lot of Broadway. And uh, so they were very excited about the film. However, he said, Elizabeth does not want to do this film. And uh, Danny, being a Broadway director, liked a lot of rehearsal. So she said, well, I will, and and Danny wanted Elizabeth to rehearse. So she said, well, I'll do the film, but I will not come to New York to rehearse the film. And she had to do this film because otherwise she would not have gotten Cleopatra. So she agreed to do it. She said, if you'll get somebody to rehearse the whole movie with Danny Mann. Well, I auditioned for Danny, and he said, well, now that I see you, and I was brunette at the time, uh, now that I see you, uh, I'd like you to double for her also in the film and uh, and stand in for her and, and be with me here at all times. So I auditioned uh, in red form and uh, got the job. Now, it, wow. it was probably one of the most unique uh, uh, jobs because uh, it was not exactly stand-in, not exactly double. It was different. Um, yeah. So when I when I started, um, I uh, did all the rehearsals with Lawrence Harvey, and, and uh, it was very very exciting. It was done up at Gold Medal Studios in the Bronx, and um, we mm-hmm. rehearsed for um, a month or two. And then uh, Elizabeth uh, came in and uh, watched rehearsals and so forth, and then uh, started the film. Well, we were we were doing the rehearsals and so forth, and then uh, started the film. And lo and behold, there was a, a SAG strike, Screenactors Guild strike. Uh, so the whole cast, except me, went back to California. And uh, that it was a long strike, I think about a month. And then everybody came back again. This became a whole career. <laughs> and we did the film. So it was a very exciting thing for me. And uh, that was uh, how I met Elizabeth Taylor. And um, she was completely charming to me. And she had a little Yorkie that used to follow her around <laughs> on the set. And um, I have to say, she was a very intuitive uh, actress. Um, everything she did was like one take and uh, really fabulous. I think that's so interesting that Elizabeth Taylor uh, wanted to do Cleopatra and was more interested in that than she was in uh, Butterfield 8, and um, she didn't get a nomination for Cleopatra, but she got a nomination for uh, Butterfield 8 and won her first Oscar for 
for Butterfield Eight. So that's um, that was a scoop when we interviewed Joan Benedict Steiger. Uh, Joan had never uh, mentioned that to anyone before, but I thought that would be uh, definitely of interest to uh, to our listeners. Okay, now we go to the behind-the-scenes information, and uh, we're going to call on our film historian first, because as you know, historians are always interested in behind-the-scenes information. So James, you already have shared uh, uh, some interesting behind-the-scenes stuff, but what else can you uh, share with us? What else can I share with you? Well, uh, I don't know. I have to dig way deep into my memory, because that was so long ago. Uh, yes, but that's what historians do. <laughs> yes, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I remember uh, uh, Roddy McDowell uh, in the film. Uh, he played sort of a bitchy, uh, I don't know what he was in the movie, but anyway, he was bitchy, <laughs> but fun. And uh, he was he that way in person. He was that way in person as well. So, <laughs> But everybody in Hollywood loved him because he took a lot of photos of behind-the-scenes things. I would suspect that his estate might have all these films that he took behind the scenes uh, in the archive somewhere, but it would be fun to get a hold of those pictures that Roddy took and publish them. He was great. That would be great. Um, yeah, uh, another... I'm sorry. Well, I wanted to add about Roddy McDowell that uh, he may, he missed out on a nomination for Best Supporting Actor just for some kind of clerical error. So I imagine he wasn't too happy with that. But anyway, go go ahead, uh, uh, give us more stuff. Oh, I, I kind of remember that uh, snafu with his nomination because he was so good in the film that he really deserved it. But then so was Martin Landau who is still around. He's, uh, Diana and I actually got a chance to interview Martin Landau one time in uh, Hollywood. And uh, you would not believe it, but Martin Landau is one of the funniest people you would ever want to meet. I couldn't do the interview because I was laughing so hard. I was falling down on the floor of his trailer because he kept us in stitches. I I never dreamed that he was so funny. He's very witty, very sharp. And I think now he's into his mid-80s. He must be, yeah. Yes, I I was so hoping that he would call. He learned Italian, he said. Well, during the filming, he he, and he also missed because it took so long. It all he also missed out uh, on a role in Fellini's uh, what eight and a half. That was that's such a classic. So yeah. he he does have some things that he's probably um, not too happy about that happened. Oh. But uh, but it well, would I be fun my, to listen. I, yeah. he, I wish he would he uh, talk, come on. Yeah, yes, I, I do. We don't have. To, too many, too many more minutes. Well, I'm going to keep trying to get him on the phone because, I mean, on the show because he'll have lots of other things. Oh, he has lots, and lots and lots and lots of Hollywood history there. He's a he'd be a wonderful interview. He's a marvelous person, and just so funny. I think Diana remembers when we interviewed him. I do, Diana. Do, <laughs> do you uh, do you have some some. Uh, behind-the-scenes tidbits for Cleopatra that, that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I had quite a few here, but my computer's not cooperating. Um, Susan Hayward was the first choice to play Cleopatra. 
Oh, my gosh. One of my oh, favorites. She was, yeah, she was one of my favorites. She's beautiful, beautiful raven hair. I loved her, yeah. And Rex Harrison had a clause in his contract stipulating that whenever a picture of Richard Burton appeared in the ad, his would have to be also. I remember that. Uh, I remember that, Diana. And also, his had to be higher than Richard Burton. So yeah, when there you was see a big the, thing about some billboard that went up, and yeah. they had to take it down and redo it. <laughs> yes, yeah. so their their egos are so big, you know. Right. Oh my gosh! Well, Rex Harrison, I I think when the when the, the studio uh, VIPs were were uh, getting really upset over the cost over overruns for this movie they uh, they went they were um wanted the chauffeur Rex Harrison's chauffeur and his cook to be discharged mm. and uh, I read where uh, Rex Harrison said he had to act like he really was uh, imperious like Julius Caesar to get that stopped right away <laughs> he needed his cook and his chauffeur. <laughs> well, but you're he a... did get a yeah he did get a nomination for the for the, for the role of uh, Julius Caesar and uh, he didn't he didn't win but uh, he he fought hard for his chauffeur and I I believe it was it was the cook. Well, what about between uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton? One of the things that I thought was 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 kind of endearing was that uh, Elizabeth Taylor evidently had met Richard Burton before uh, they worked together on Cleopatra, and she really wasn't that taken with him. But when he came on the Cleopatra set, evidently he'd had quite a night of of boozing the night before, (laughs) and he came hungover on the set. And and, uh, so so when she went over to to greet him, she she says, uh, you know, she just felt sorry for him, and she went to get him coffee, and she tried to comfort him and get him going, and and she found that he was uh, he was very endearing as she was uh, trying to help him. So that's kind of how. <laughs> yeah, how that was worked, how, things, how things worked worked out. <laughs> so, well, what about the performances in the film, uh, Diana? You you've seen the uh, the movie probably uh, more recently than than we have. Who who do you think gave the best performances in Cleopatra? You know, truthfully, I don't think there was a best performance in Cleopatra. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> there was a lot of speculation about Roddy, of course, but also about Rex, but then a lot of the critics that said that, you know, while he physically seemed to be the great emperor, his his demeanor was kind of more like laid back and, and not too strong. Um, but what I find interesting is that none of the actors in that movie were nominated for anything. And the best picture of that year was a movie called Tom Jones, which not only right. won Best Picture, but Best Writing, Best Directing, and um, four of their actors were nominated from a list that we hardly know any of today except Albert Finney and uh, Peter Finch. So evidently right. Hollywood wasn't too impressed with their performances either. <laughs> so your so uh, your critic side is coming out here and and you 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 enjoyed the movie because of the the spectacle but you think yes. the, the performances yes. were just kind of a second rate. What what about you James? Well, of course I totally disagree with Diana as I usually do, but <laughs> I you're I <laughs> That's 
because I have to wake you up in every movie and you don't see it. Well, that's true. <laughs> Whenever I fall asleep in a movie, I give it a rave review. <laughs> we're gonna have to watch. We're gonna have to watch out for that. But but who, who would you pick out of the out, who would you pick out of the film that you you thought well, did the best? Oh, I I would have to pick Richard Burton. Uh, I would give him an award just for his voice alone. He had the most magnificent speaking voice in all of theaterdom. Uh, he was marvelous, and he, and he was a good film actor as well. So I, I picked Richard Burton. I thought he was terrific. And I'll go with Elizabeth Taylor because I thought she was just so so beautiful and so manipulative and seductive just the way you imagine Queen uh, Cleopatra to be. I cannot believe you guys, when you come on the show, the time just goes by so <laughs> fast. I, I want to thank you both for, for being such uh, terrific guests again today. Well, um, maybe maybe you could both call in next next week because it is our sixth anniversary next Tuesday and we'd love we'd love to hear from you and and I'll give you more details about that but even if you don't do that you'll uh, you'll both come back again soon right yes absolutely oh i'm i'm so happy uh, to i feel blessed to have friends and colleagues like you and i just uh, we all love it when you're when you're uh, with us but our time is almost up so i want to give a big shout out to the folks at blog talk radio for selecting this episode as one of the staff picks, which will be posted on the site tomorrow. And another big shout-out to Nikki Starr for all her help. Thanks again to Jim, to James and Diana for helping us celebrate the 50th anniversary of Cleopatra. Thanks to our chatters and other listeners for tuning in. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. I sure did. So I've already told you what's up next week next tuesday we'll be celebrating six years of movie fun on movie addict headquarters and we will have a book giveaway so don't miss out on the fun and in the meantime don't forget to check out our reviews at realtalkreviews.com that's r-e-e-l realtalkreviews.com that's all for now folks so here's brian ferry to take us out with a song that reminds us how great classic movies can be Remember this A kiss is still a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by And when two lovers move They still say I love you On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of day Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man, and man must have his name that no one can.
story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die The world will always welcome lovers As time goes by Just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.